We're in Deuteronomy chapter 3 today. We started last week our series in Deuteronomy. We're not going to cover every passage in the book, and so you'll notice we're jumping from chapter 1. We're going to skip all of chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up here towards the end of chapter 3. And uh, that is really just to keep us moving through the book. We've tried to be very intentional about which passages we want to look at on Sundays. And so today's passage is Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 21 through 29. I want to, as we, after we read this and I pray, I want to kind of break it down and look at the three different parts of this passage. And then hopefully uh, the second part of the sermon today, you'll find to be some helpful applications on how we can apply this to our lives today. It's one of my favorite passages uh, that we're going to look at here in Deuteronomy. It's one of the ones I've most been looking forward to preaching. So let's read together, starting in verse 21. It says, I commanded Joshua at that time, your own eyes have seen everything the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms you are about to enter. Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord your God fights for you. At that time, I begged the Lord, Lord God, you have begun to show your greatness and your strong hand to your servant. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can perform mighty deeds and mighty acts like yours? Please let me cross over and see the beautiful land on the other side of the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. The Lord said to me, that's enough. Do not speak to me again about this matter. Go to the top of Pisgah and look to the west, north, south, and east and see it with your own eyes, for you will not cross the Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will cross over ahead of the people and enable them to inherit this land that you will see. So we stayed in the valley facing Beth Peor. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider the words of chapter 3 of Deuteronomy together today, these words that have been inspired by your Holy Spirit. May we find uh, your voice, may we hear your voice in, in in your word today. May you speak to us how we might obey you, glorify you, and live our lives for you. I pray that you give us minds that are open, hearts that are eager to obey, and that you would be glorified here today in Jesus' name. So Moses, there, where we're at in, in Deuteronomy, if, if you were, weren't with us last week, the people of Israel are about to go into the promised land. God has promised the Israelite nation this land that he's going to give them on which they are to flourish, they are to live according to his law, they are to be light to the rest of the world. God promised Abraham that through him he would bless all nations. And so God is advancing his plan to make himself known to all people. And the next step of that plan is for Israel to go into the promised land. And so Moses has led them back to the doorstep of the promised land for a second time now. And the book of Deuteronomy is a series of speeches that Moses is giving them to prepare them to go in and to prepare them to to live faithfully on this land that God has given them. And so let me just break this story down into three parts. The first one that you'll see if you have the handout in front of you, if you want to follow along, take some notes today. The first one, the first part is this. Moses prepared his successor by pointing him to what the Lord had done. One of the important themes of the book of Deuteronomy is going to be Moses' preparation of Joshua to lead the people after he has passed and and left him in charge. So he prepares his successor by pointing him to what the Lord had done. The mistake that Israel made 40 years earlier is they failed to remember and they failed to trust in God based on what he had already done. And so the first time they came to the doorstep of the promised land, they doubted, they were faithless. They, they believed that the people in front of them were more powerful than the God who was going with them. And so this time Moses is, is preparing Joshua to have faith. He's preparing Joshua to believe, to trust, to remember what the Lord has done. 
And most recently, he points him to how the Lord, if you go back and read chapter 2, you'll see how the Lord has already conquered standing armies on Israel's behalf as they head to the promised land. And so Moses says, what you just saw God do to those two kings, you're going to see him do as you go into the land ahead of you. It says in verse 21, I commanded Joshua at that time, your own eyes have seen everything the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms you are about to enter. Don't be afraid of them for the Lord your God fights for you. At this point in history, it's, it's still undetermined whether or not Israel is going to obey this time. We are looking back on this historical event. We know that Israel does go in to the promised land. But at, at this point in history, Moses could have been a little bit nervous. Last time they got to this point, it looked like everybody was good. It looked like everybody was ready to go into the promised land. And then at the last minute, everybody freaked out and nobody wanted to go in. And here they are again. Is this generation, this new generation, facing the same challenge as the old generation? Are they going to trust? Are they going to obey? So Moses has to prepare his successor, and he does so by pointing him to what the Lord had done. Of course, we talked last week about our need to do the same thing, to reflect back on what God has done in our lives in order to to grow in confidence of what he's going to do when we face new challenges. That's the first part. The second part of this passage is this. Moses pleaded with God to go into the promised land. Verses 23 through 25, is, it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting part of Deuteronomy because throughout the first five books of, of the Old Testament, which Moses had written we, we don't get a lot of this kind of personal information about Moses. We don't hear a lot about, we, we don't get a lot of information on this level of intimate detail. And here we have Moses having a very vulnerable conversation with God that he now recounts to the nation of Israel that has gathered before him. It's very interesting Let's read it together. Verse 23, at that time I begged the Lord, Lord God, you have begun to show your greatness in your strong hand to your servant. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can perform deeds and mighty acts like yours? And he says, please, let me cross over and see the beautiful land on the other side of the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. What's going on here is God has already told Moses he was not going to allow him to go into the promised land. After decades of leading this, this group of people with one goal in mind to get them to the promised land, after essentially a, a lifetime of, of being God's servant as the head of Israel, and everything that Moses has been through, all of that was with this one goal in mind, to get them to the promised land. And God says, you're not going. You're not going to go in with them. You're not going to make it to the promised land with them. I'm taking them, but you will die here. And the reason the Scripture doesn't leave us in the dark, why? The reason is, because there was an occasion earlier in their journey through the wilderness where Moses disobeyed God. He disobeyed God when they, the people got to a place where they were becoming very thirsty. It was millions of people wandering through the desert. It's hard to find water. God supernaturally provided food for them each day in the form of manna and quail. But they would often run out of water, and they basically repeat the same pattern every time they run out of water. First they get thirsty, then they start to grumble, then they conclude that God hates them and wants them to die. That's the, the sort of the pattern that they go through. And then God <coughs> miraculously provides water for them. So on one such occasion, that pattern is playing out, that cycle's playing out, and God says to Moses, go, and speak to this rock, a specific rock. Speak to this rock, 
And out of that rock, I will bring water. It will, it will become a spring. Water will start to flow from that rock. Now that sounds wild, but they've already seen this happen before. In the past, God has done, has, had, had Moses do the same thing, except last time he had Moses take his staff and strike the rock. Well, Moses gets angry. He gets angry that the people are grumbling again. And instead of obeying God, who told him to go and speak to that rock, and for whatever reason, God wanted him to speak this time, not strike, presumably to, to remove any doubt that this was a supernatural event taking place. And Moses goes, instead of speaking to the rock as God instructed him, he angrily takes his staff, he smacks the rock two times, and water comes from the rock. And God pulls him aside. He says, that's not what I told you to do. You're not going to the promised land. Seems kind of harsh, huh? If, if we, if any one of us were to be, let's say, banned from heaven, if we ever lost our temper, who of us is going in? Not me. Moses, as far as we can tell, on virtually every other occasion, did exactly what God told him to do. And yet, on, in this one instance, he disobeys. And God says, you're not going into the promised land. Now, I'm tempted, I'm tempted to do two different things here. On one hand, I want to sort of defend Moses like, man, if that's the standard, then who can live up to that? And I'm also tempted to, to elaborate on how, 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 how egregious it was for Moses to defy the holiness of God in front of the entire nation of Israel. Moses had an obligation to, to demonstrate God's holiness through perfect obedience. And in this case, it's not like unattainable. All you had to do was speak instead of strike. That's not that big of a request, is it? That's not too much to ask. If God's holiness and, 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 and God's worth and God's glory is at stake in front of millions of people, slow down and make sure you get it right, Moses. And yet, regardless of how you feel about it, this is where we end up. Moses is not going into the promised land. And so that happened sometime earlier, right? And time has passed, and Moses has, has obeyed the Lord and many other things by now. He's, he's gotten the people to the promised land, and he's thinking just like any of us would probably think, you know what, maybe God's cooled off a little bit. Maybe he's, he is a merciful God, by the way. He's a God who loves to show mercy. He's a God who loves to forgive the sins of his people. He's a God who rewards faith and obedience. Why don't I go back to him again and say to him, please let me cross over and see the beautiful land on the other side of the Jordan. We've seen God relent from his wrath before. Many times, God righteously became angry with the Israelite people for the sins they had committed. And Moses would go and he would plead on their behalf, and God would relent from his punishment. There's a pretty good chance God's going to do that again. At least in Moses' mind, right? So he goes to the Lord. And he says, can I go in? Can I go see the land that you've promised? He doesn't ask to live there forever. He's, he's nearly 120 years old at this point. He knows his time is pretty much up. He's not asking for another 100 years. He, he just says, can I go see it? Can I cross the river with the people 
that I have been tasked with. By the way, God, you, you put me in this role. I did not aspire to it. And I go in and just see the land with these people whose grumbling I have put up with for decades, who I've faithfully led through the wilderness. He pleads with the Lord. Then the third part of this passage is perhaps the most difficult because the third part is this, that Moses received God's answer that he was not going. He receives God's answer that he was not going in. This is tough. This is tough. We're supposed to be emotionally invested. As readers of this text, as readers of the story of Deuteronomy, presumably we would be folks who have read the previous four books. We've followed the story of Israel. We've followed the story of Moses and, and we ought to be, at this point, emotionally invested. If this is a show that you're binge-watching on Netflix, Moses is your favorite character, and you want things to work out for him. That's the way this story is, is, is being told. And so that's what makes verse 26 pretty hard to hear. Verse 26 says, But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me, the Lord said to me, that's enough. Do not speak to me again about this matter. God doesn't say to Moses, you know, Moses, why don't I just explain this to you? Seems like you're struggling with this. Let's sit down and talk about this. That's enough. We're done talking about it. Don't bring it up again. My answer's not changing. Go to the top of peace, God, and look to the west, north, south, and east and see it with your own eyes, for you will not cross the Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will cross over ahead of the people and enable them to inherit this land that you will see. Not only are you not going, Moses, but you are in charge of preparing the one who's going in your place. I don't want to project my emotions onto Moses too much, but if we just speculate a little bit here, it probably was not super easy for Moses to go back and train Joshua to do the thing that he wanted. Imagine the emotional burden of, of having to sit there with this guy who's, who's living your dream. He's doing what you want to do. It's like, it's like dating a girl for a couple years, asking her to marry you, and then find out that you actually have to sit down and, and train somebody else to go and marry her. It's not cool. It's, that's, that's tough. That's, this, is, this is a big deal for Moses. This is what God has decreed. This, this is one of the things that in, in the book of Deuteronomy, we need, we need to read Deuteronomy in the context of, of what Moses is going through. It'll help us. It'll help us, okay? So here's the three parts of this story. Moses prepared his successor by pointing him to what the Lord had done. He pleaded with God to go into the promised land and he received God's answer that he's not going in. How do we apply this today? I think this is actually very applicable. It may sound like a strange story to talk about applying to us today, but I think there's some, some good considerations in here for us as we serve the Lord today, things that we can learn from and take away from this text. So let me give you three considerations for serving the Lord today. For us, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, we're gonna start with the lightest one, right? The, the text moves in a heavy direction, but let's go back to the beginning. The first consideration for serving the Lord today is that we need to pour into the next generation. 
Deuteronomy is a, a lot of this book is about the transfer of the transfer of the baton or the torch, however you want to think of it, the, the, the transfer of responsibility from one generation to the next generation. And now this new generation is going to go into the promised land and they are the ones whom God is tasking to take the promised land, to establish the kingdom of Israel, and to live out faithfully his commands. That last generation has already sealed their fate. And so there they are, just everybody's hanging out in the desert until they die off, one at a time. Every, every morning you wake up and you look at the obituaries and you're like, all right, who died, who died yesterday? And then you get down to the last few guys and you're sitting there at lunch and everybody's staring at you because they're just waiting for you to die so they can go into the promised land. And you're like, I don't know if I should even eat this food. Who cooked this food? You start looking over your shoulder because you're like one of the last few guys. But that generation has failed and, and God is preparing the next generation to take on the mantle of being his people. We have a a similar responsibility as Moses takes on. Moses really becomes the one in charge of ensuring that that next generation hears the word of the Lord, knows the word of the Lord, knows what's expected of them, knows how they are to live once they go into the land. And he's, you know, presumably there are other people involved in that process, but what the account that we have here in Scripture is that that predominantly falls upon Moses and so what's interesting in this passage is this passage begins and ends with Moses preparing Joshua. It's a pretty significant part of this, of, of this section of the story here. He's preparing Joshua. He's telling him, don't forget what you just saw God do. Don't forget how God has fought on your behalf because you're going to go to the promised land and there are going to be armies in front of you and there are going to be obstacles in front of you that you think, we can't possibly take this land. So remember that it's not by your might, it's because the, the Lord your God fights for you. He's preparing the next generation. It's, it's pretty cliche, but you'll see on the handout this statement, you're not a success without a successor. It's a, it's a saying that perhaps gets used in the business world, perhaps gets used in the church from time to time, but it's a reality is, is that we can't consider our lives successful if we've not trained up others to do what we've done. In this case, that's obey the Lord. In this case, that's follow him and lead others to know him and to live for him. Moses could have led the people faithfully throughout his life, but if he didn't raise up Joshua, the story ends there. And so it is with us. We might live faithful lives for the Lord, but there's coming a day when what will matter more than what we've done with our lives is how we have poured into the next generation. There's coming a day when our presence will no longer be significant but the investment that we've made in those coming behind us will carry on. So as we serve the Lord today, let's think, let's think generationally. Let's think, I not only want to be faithful to the Lord in my generation, but I want to raise up, I want to equip, I want to prepare the next generation to serve him too. It's one of the reasons why we, we place such an emphasis on kids' ministry here at Redemption. Because we know that that's an enormous part of our responsibility as a church is to give that generation every tool and every opportunity and every encouragement that we can so that as they grow, they will know and love the Lord and they will serve him as well. We not only care about them when they're young kids up through elementary age, but we have, we have a youth ministry that, that tends to them in the same way as, as they become teenagers. And that's why our, our youth ministry 
places a strong emphasis on teaching them the word and teaching them to know God. It's, it is a fun place to hang out, but it's not just a fun place. It's not just about carrying on and, and, and playing games. It's about equipping teenagers to know and to love and to obey the Lord. And then we do the same thing with our young adults. Mel, who's up here faithfully every week shredding on the guitar, uh, she's been leading our young adults over the past year or so and in fact, just took many of them on a retreat where they spent time getting into the word as young adults, growing in their love for the Lord. This is what the church is supposed to do. This is how the church is supposed to work. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be pouring into the next generation as, as we faithfully live out what God has called us to do with our lives. We are simultaneously saying, hey, keep up. Keep up, follow us as, as we follow the Lord. Follow us and we pour in to the next generation. Moses does this throughout, throughout his time in the desert, throughout his time here at the doorstep of the promised land. He's preparing the next generation. That's what this whole book is. His whole book is him standing before the next generation saying, this is what it means to obey the Lord. This is what it means to go and to be his people and he's given everything he's got left into ensuring that they have heard the word of God and that they know the implications of this for their lives. So the first consideration, pour into the next generation. The second one, remember, this is so important. If you're going to serve the Lord today, remember you are serving the Lord. It's not the other way around. He's not serving you. That may sound a bit harsh, but you, you need to understand, I don't want to say hierarchy here, but you need to understand the way this works. God is not some, some genie in a bottle that, that we make wishes of, and he, he is here to, to serve us. He's here to make our dreams come true. We're here to serve him. By grace, we have been saved and brought into his kingdom, but we have been enlisted in his service. And by the way, that is like the greatest and most enjoyable privilege that human beings could ever have. I mean, some might take that and, and say, well, what's God recruiting slaves or God employing slaves? What's going on? No, it's, it's actually to our joy to get to serve him. But remember, you're serving the Lord. It's not the other way around. The next thing on the handout says it's his kingdom, it's his will, his plan that matters. Not mine. As your pastors and elders lead this church, we have to remain cognizant of the fact that God will lead through human beings. But those human beings don't place their will above his will. Our job is not to say, what do we want for Redemption Church? Our job is to discern what God wants for Redemption Church. Our job is to discern what his will is, what his plan is. There, there could be and there will be and there have been things that, that I might have thought, wow, that would be really cool. I'd like, to, I'd like to see us do that. I'd like to see that for Redemption Church. And it became clear that that's not what God wanted. That's the way it ought to be. It ought to be that we are pursuing his will, his plan. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross? What's the last thing he said in the garden before he went off and was arrested? He was praying to the Father, and he was feeling the weight of what was about to happen, and he cried out, God, if there's, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to accomplish redemption, if there's any other way to reconcile man back to his creator, we can do this any other way than the way we've been talking about. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus, the Son of God, who took on human flesh, who came and, and lived among us as one of us, surrendered his human will to the divine will of God. That's what we need to do. Everything, everything that we pursue in life ought to be, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because there are differences, there are distinctions between your will and God's will. And thank God that there is. Literally, thank Him. Because it's, it's for your benefit, it's for your good. If, you, if God did for you everything that you've asked Him to do over the course of your life, would your life be better or worse? I would contend it would be worse. I would contend that we have asked for things not knowing that they weren't actually for the best. They may have seemed that way to us at the time, but thankfully God sees more clearly. God knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. And he doesn't always give us the things that we ask for. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. David doesn't get to build the temple. The... the, the biblical account of people who have served God is full of people who have not gotten their way. And it was for their good. Hebrews 11, the chapter sometimes referred to as the hall of faith because one after another, it reminds us of those who served God faithfully throughout the Old Testament times. And the conclusion sort of not the conclusion, but one thing they all had in common we find in Hebrews 11.13. Hebrews 11.13 says, Of all of those who have gone before, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners in temporary residence on the earth. If you get everything you wanted from God, you didn't want enough. <laughs> or you didn't want the right things. Because it seems to be the historical pattern of people who have served him have had desires that did not get fulfilled in this life. They had dreams that were not realized. They had wishes that did not come true. If you are going to serve the Lord faithfully today, it may be that some of the things that you most want God to do in your life or some of the things you most want to see God do in your life here on earth, the answer is, is no. We need to be okay with the fact that God doesn't work for us. We serve Him in His kingdom to do His will. And if you know God well enough, you know that that's Best. You know that that's actually for your good. But that doesn't mean you don't have seasons or times or moments where you struggle with the fact that God is persistently saying no. And I'm not, I'm not talking about small things. For Moses, this was the the goal that he had been, been really ordering his entire life toward for the past four decades. There's one thing that Moses was seeking to do with his life. That was to get these people to the promised land. To go and to see with his own eyes what God was going to do. God said no. No doubt in my mind, as you 
pursue the Lord in a similar way. There will be times when you ask God for things, important things, meaningful things, and he will say no. He will not give you what you're asking for. How are you going to respond? How are you going to, what are you going to do in response to that? I, I'm, I'm tempted to name specific, some, some of the common ways we end up in this position. And, that, and that, that might be too personal to, to do that, but I can tell you some of, the, some of the things that I have asked God for that he has said no to. One of those is when my daughter was born 14 years ago with a traumatic brain injury, and as, as time went on, it became clearer and clearer that her abilities and, um, well, her, let's just say her abilities were not going to keep up with her peers. Significantly so. I mean, very significantly. We were looking at a girl that was 18 months old that essentially couldn't do anything at 18 months that she wasn't doing on day one. We're talking like zero progress. And uh, you talk about crying out to the Lord and wanting to see God do a miracle, wanting to see God change the path that you're on. And God essentially said no. I mean, don't get me wrong, God answered that, those prayers in, in wonderful ways in terms of he did eventually lead us to some, some solutions in the form of therapy that would allow Reagan to do a lot more than uh, she otherwise would have been able to do. Um, but the disability remains, and it's, it's a daily thing. It's never not there. And we got to a point where you started to realize God's not going to take this away, is he? He's, he's not going to deliver us from this. Instead, he's going to walk with us through this. And that's just one example of, of the ways in which God oftentimes says no. In your life, it might be a relationship that needed healed, that God has not healed. It might be, it might be a physical ailment that God has not taken away. It might be a mental or emotional burden that God has not lifted, the reality is I don't know of any examples of anyone who has faithfully served God through whom God has, has done work in his kingdom who have not heard that no from God. That, that's enough. We're done talking about this. What are you going to do with that? I want to make a suggestion. The third consideration for serving the Lord today is my suggestion. The suggestion I want to make if you find yourself in that same place as Moses where you, you long for something so much and yet God has withheld it from you. This is my suggestion, number three on the handout. Accept the limits God places on your life. Serve him faithfully and enjoy him forever. Accept the limits is the first and most crucial step. You don't, you don't, you're not going to move on to steps two and three if you don't do the first one. You have to accept the limits God has placed limits on your life. He has. There's no exceptions to that. Those, those limits, at the very least, are going to come in the form of as you age, you are physically less able to do things that you used to do, and that progression will continue all the way until you eventually die. That's a pretty serious limit. He has placed limits. He, we have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of mental and emotional bandwidth. All of us probably have things that we say to ourselves, if I had more time, I would do this. 
If I had more energy, I could do this. If I had more of something, I could. those are the limits that God has placed. You don't have more time. You don't have more energy. You have limits on your life. You can only do so much, so accept that. It's, it, sometimes those limits are much harsher than just the general limitations that we all face. Sometimes those limits are significant illness. Sometimes those limits are physical disability. Sometimes those limits are the loss of a loved one. There are limitations that God places on our lives that, that, quite frankly, can be hard pills to swallow. But we've got to accept those limits. It's okay. It's okay if you can't do that thing you desired to do. It's okay if you can't do everything you dreamed you would one day get to do. Welcome to the club. We're all in this together. That's all of us including Moses, including David, including Abraham. Accept the limits that God has placed on your life. Yet, step two, serve him faithfully. Don't use those limits as an excuse. Don't hide behind those limitations and say, well, I would, but this. I would do, I would do more, but you know, this and that and the other. No, you within those limits that God has placed in your life, you do everything that you can for him while you can. Serve him as much as you possibly can. Pour your life out doing what he has given you to do. Don't you determine what those limits are. Let him set the limitations. You go as far as you can, and you do everything that you possibly can. He'll let you know when you're up against those limitations. He'll let you know when that's, that's all he's gonna let you do. Until then, you serve him faithfully. You give your life for the gospel and you give your life to build up the church. And then, you enjoy him forever. What makes Moses' story so okay and so acceptable is that we have the perspective of eternity. The perspective of eternity shows us that that the limits placed on Moses' earthly life are just that. They are only the limits placed on Moses' earthly life. But Moses, like you, was created to be with God eternally and to enjoy him forever. Let's, let me give you a couple examples of this from Scripture. 1 John chapter 3 says this. In 1 John 3, 1 through 3, it says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. God has a future that he is preparing for you and I if we are in Christ. He is preparing a future for us in which we will enjoy him forever. What will it be like? What will we look like? Will we eat? Will we sleep? There's so many things we don't know John himself says, what we will be has not yet been revealed. But he says this, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You will be like your Savior. Your risen, ascended, reigning over the universe, Savior Jesus Christ. You will be conformed to his likeness. And everyone who has this hope, so the application of this, according to 1 John 3, is that everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Essentially, we we could preach point number three here from John chapter three. We have limits. What we are now is what we are now. There's limits to that. But, but, we will be with him forever. We're going to enjoy him forever. We will become like him in some way. 
Therefore, we're going to serve him faithfully. Let me give you a couple of more motivations from Scripture. Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells two different stories with similar endings. And I just want to read the endings because the intention of Jesus' telling of these stories is to motivate his followers to live faithfully for him. And at the end of the first story, in, in, chap, in chapter 25, verse 23, he says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And then he says at the end of the second story, in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's the Christian's aim, it's the Christian's desire that we will one day stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come, share in my joy. Come, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for us. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Only those who live their lives faithfully within the limits that God has placed on their lives will enjoy him forever. That's what you want to hear when you stand before Jesus. You want Jesus to look you in the eye and say, you did it. Well done. You were faithful. You don't want Jesus to look at you and say, what happened? <laughs> Did something go wrong? I told, I, I, this is what I told you to do. Why didn't you do it? We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's what I love about the story of Moses. This is what I'm going to end with in Luke chapter 9. This is some um, 2,500 years after Moses' death. Moses didn't go into the promised land. We're going to finish. We'll see that as we finish the book of Deuteronomy. He dies in the wilderness. He doesn't go into the promised land. I'm sorry, 1,500 years. I'm I'm doing the math in my head. (laughs) 1,500 years later, Luke 9 happens. In Luke 9, it says in verse 28, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. This is what we refer to as the transfiguration of Jesus. His appearance was actually physically changed. Up until this point, he looked just like every other common man. But on this mountain, something unique and something special is happening. God is revealing to these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, the glory of that the Son has in eternity. And so he's transfigured. He becomes, his fa- the appearance of his face has changed and his clothes become dazzling white. Verse 30, suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Last time we heard of Moses was when the end of Deuteronomy, when he died, not getting to go into the promised land. And here we are in Luke 9. Where is Moses? He's in the promised land. He's in the presence of the glorified Jesus. Not only that, but he's standing there. Jesus is, maybe this isn't the right word, he's consulting with Moses and Elijah about this last leg of his ministry journey. Moses, who the last thing we knew, God said, that's enough. Stop talking to me about this. And we were tempted to walk away thinking, man, that's how God rewarded Moses? And then in Luke 9, we see the perspective of eternity shows us that we can be okay with the limitations that God places on us in this life for one, one reason is that we know that we will enjoy him forever in eternity.
Moses did go into the promised land. And what he saw in Luke chapter 9 was so much better than all of those Israelites who went in after his death. They longed to see what Moses saw. One other thought on this. In the Old Testament, the, the promised land is a bit of a, it is more than a metaphor. It is a real thing. Uh, but it serves as a bit of a metaphor. In, in biblical studies, we call these types. It's a type of. That means it's a sort of a, a foreshadowing of something to come. The promised land serves as a bit of a type or a bit of a metaphor for salvation. In the Old Testament, the Israelites are moving towards the promised land. That's going to be the fulfillment of what, what God had promised to them. In the New Testament, we're moving towards salvation in Christ. And it's, I think, helpful to note that the reason Moses didn't go into the promised land was because he did not meet the standard of righteousness set by God. Moses, who's the representative of the entire Old Testament system, we call it the law of Moses. The Old Testament commands come from Moses. They come from God through Moses. And yet Moses himself is not righteous enough to enter into the promised land. How does he get into the promised land? Jesus takes him into the promised land. And in the same way, you and I need to recognize that our righteousness will never get us to salvation in Christ. We have the same need that Moses did. We need another. We need Jesus himself to take us in to the promised land, to take us in to salvation. And therefore, perhaps one of the most significant responses you could have to this story about Moses today is to trust another to take you into the promised land. Because you're not good enough, and I'm not good enough. We've not lived up to the standard set by God. We have failed him. But he has sent his son to bring us in. He has sent his son to save us from our sin. Just like he saved Moses, he'll save you too.